Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. In 49 other states, football is just a game. But this is Wisconsin. The Green Bay Packers have won the Super Bowl. The Lombardi Trophy is coming home. Wisconsin fans demand the best, the best analysis, the best interviews, the best coverage, and no one delivers like the Bill Michaels Huddle. Good evening and welcome. Bill Michaels Huddle's on the air. We are presented by our good friends at Bud Light Seltzer. Unquestionably good. Glad you're along for the ride tonight. Thanks, as always. We certainly appreciate it. And, uh, again, um, thanks to everybody that uh, was joining me a little bit earlier on Facebook Live as well. So, had a really good crowd over there. Had a lot of fun and answering a lot of different questions. Meanwhile, tonight uh, we're joined once again, our good cohorts, uh, Andy Herman and Ross Uglum, PackerReport.com. Andy, how you doing? Hey, Bill. I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me. Excited to talk some football with you and Ross. Absolutely. Ross, how you doing tonight? I'm excited. Looks like uh, up and down college and pro. Some decent matchups, finally. Yeah, we've got uh, good games this week. A good game tonight, as a matter of fact, when it comes Absolutely. to the NFC West. Yeah. You've got to the Seahawks. Uh, they are hosting uh, the Arizona Cardinals coming off of that big victory over Buffalo. Meanwhile, the Seahawks are trying to stymie the two-game losing streak and stop the bleeding when it comes to turnovers. So we'll get into that discussion coming up. But, uh, guys, I want to start off with the injury report, and I think it's uh, it's interesting. You got uh, looks like uh, Jair Alexander is going to be back. Kevin King's going to be back. But today, no Devontae Adams. He's nursing that ankle injury. Uh, Andy, I'll start with you. Concerned that he may, may not play in this contest? He certainly seemed like he would when he was talking to the media. Yeah, I think concerned that he was a, you know, did not participate at practice today. He's just such a huge, uh, you know, portion of this Packers offense, I guess on the, you know, bright side, they haven't lost the game. I think when he's been out the last couple of seasons. So I guess if you want to be an optimist, you can go in that direction. But uh, you know, when you go up against a Colts team on the road, that is one of the best defensive teams in all of football. You want your full stack of weapons, just when it seems like maybe Alan Lazard could be coming back, you get Bakhtiari back. And it seems like you may have a, a pretty full slate of weapons. Now you've got this kind of lingering question question over the Packers of whether or not Adams is going to be able to play or not. And I think what, what people always forget too is, you know, even if Devontae Adams plays on Sunday, all of a sudden, you, you know, you see he's active and everyone just kind of assumes, all right, Devontae Adams is playing and that's Devontae Adams. Well, if he's at 50%, yeah, it's still better than no Devontae Adams, but the, even him being at 50% uh, could be a real hindrance in this game. 
This is the uh, the first time in NFL history, Ross, that any team has averaged uh, 30 plus points per game with five or fewer turnovers in the first nine games of the season. But the question is, against this really stout defense, fast defense in Indianapolis, can they, without Devontae Adams, get to that 30 plus points per game? I don't know if they can get to 30, but uh, I you know I think they can they can probably get you know to. Uh, however many points it takes to win the game, I guess. If you get up into the high 20s, um, is that enough? I think becomes kind of the, the magic question. But they've had they've had success, uh, you know, this season against defenses that are are capable. Certainly, um, I, I know everybody like it sticks in their mind that that Tampa game, but uh, you know, New Orleans is is pretty darn good defensively by hooker by crook. Minnesota is good defensively. Uh, they've had performances against, you know, some reasonably good defensive clubs. Andy, the uh, the the beating they took by Tampa Bay earlier this season, uh, they were moving the football. They didn't score that first drive. They settled for a field goal, and then they went up 10 to nothing before the two back-to-back picks happened in the pick six, obviously. That kind of derailed everything. Um, we have seen this team get behind before to good defenses. This is another good defense. So I, I guess I keep waiting to see if Matt LaFleur, Aaron Rodgers, the offensive play calling and such kind of recovers. This, this might be another first, so to speak, where they get down and now they got to come back. And do you abandon what it is that's kind of got you there to this point? Are you intrigued by this matchup because they're going to face a stout defense and they may not be able to move the ball as easily as they have pretty much all season long? So I'm anxious to see, and I don't know if you are as well, but to see how Matt LaFleur calls this game and how this game is executed because we have seen them face stout defenses in the past and kind of abandon their own game plan. Yeah, it's a great point. And I'm very excited about this game and this matchup, regardless of, you know, whether Devontae is active or not. I think this is a really great litmus test, both for the Packers offense and the defense. But, you know, speaking to your point on the offensive side of the football, I I think overall, this is a Packers team that kind of likes to play within their specific formula. They're very, uh, you know, turnover averse. They don't turn over the ball with any regularity in most games. They take care of the football. They get, you know, they're able to throw the ball downfield. Aaron Rodgers has been a much better distributor this year. uh, Just kind of staying in the pocket, getting rid of the football. You know, if they can get pressure with their front four, they, they have a very specific formula that they like to stick to. What's been the issue going back to last year against the 49ers twice, the Chargers this year, uh, against Tampa Bay is when that formula doesn't go according to plan and maybe there's some turnovers or the offense isn't clicking the way that it's supposed to, they haven't been able to, you know, uh, you have any improvisational ability to really kind of overcome and figure out some of those deficiencies and, and figure out a way to win football games once you've been punched in the mouth. So this is a game where the Colts are very capable of punching the Packers in the mouth. And if that happens, I'm very excited to see if they can respond and actually come back and, and win this football game. Ross, this is going to be a Packers defense in which they're going to face an aging quarterback who has taken a lot of criticism for his arm strength, but yet his accuracy still seems to be good, and his knowledge of the game, his ability to quickly throw and react has been stellar. I don't know if, uh, much like Drew Brees, I don't know if this pass rush is going to be able to get to Drew Brees if they can get rid of the ball quickly. So how do you defend an offense that can run the ball, can be precise in passing the ball, when we have seen this defense of the Green Bay Packers simply not tackle very well? Yeah, I mean that's going to be the I think the number one thing is is getting guys on the ground. Specifically, I think Naeem Hines is going to be uh, tough to get on the ground. Jonathan Taylor has was off to a nice start, but I think has kind of come back to earth a little bit. Maybe he's hitting the rookie wall. I'm, I'm not sure, 
but getting him and Naheem Hines to the ground is is going to be a, a big deal. I mean that this is something that that they've struggled with all season long, and I think as well, like you can see the games that they've succeeded are the games where they have their fewest missed tackles or if you want to look at the pro football focus data, their best tackling grades are where they succeed and getting, you know, uh, whatever seven, uh, eight yard gains instead of 25 yard gains in the run game or in the short pass game and, and kind of living to fight another day is going to be absolutely huge against an older quarterback who, who maybe doesn't bomb it down the field the way he used to. This is the number one defense in the league, uh, Andy. And, you know, as much as I look at all their rankings, I mean, number one in yards per game, number two in yards per play, number three against the run and rush yards per play, number two against the pass. There's not really a weakness when it comes to this defense. And the one thing that uh, we're going to we're going to see is they've got speed. It's not this might be the way it, kind of Mike Pettin and Brian Gutekunst wanted to mimic their own defense. They wanted smaller guys that were fast and tenacious. They just are lacking some of the beef up front to be able to get to the quarterback, aren't they? Well, you bring up a really great point, and I think it's really interesting because there's a lot of belief around the league that the best way to go about building the defense is through the middle. You build a really stout defensive line uh, up front, and then you really build, uh, you know, a really great inside linebacker core, and and you make them, you know, kind of beat you from the, uh, you know, outside in. And, you know, the, the Colts have done a great job of doing that with, you know, Grover Stewart's having a great year at nose tackle to force Buckner. They get spend a first round pick to trade him, getting him over from San Francisco. And then you've got, you know, one of the best linebackers in football and Darius Leonard, Anthony Walker and Bobby Okarike are no slouches either. This is a team that built from the inside out and they are going to be very stout. It's going to be very tough for Aaron Jones to kind of get any traction in the middle of that uh, Colts defensive line and, and really the interior of that defense. So I think Matt LaFleur is going to have to be very creative. We haven't really seen him do a ton of the jet sweeps uh, like he did in week one against Minnesota. I'm wondering if he brings a little bit of that back, even with Tyler Irvin potentially out in this game, maybe a few more screens, but they're going to have to be creative with how they run the football in this game. Ross, uh, it, it, what he says makes me think back to when Elliot Wolf took to the podium and I'm sitting there in the media center and we're talking about all these different draft day prospects and what's upcoming and free agency and such. And he says, you know, well, I think you guys value the middle linebacking position more than we do. And my chin almost hit the floor because I'm thinking some of the best defenses in NFL history have been led by those guys that were just snot lockers. I mean, you know, you look at a guy like Mike Singletary. You look at a guy even, you know, you go back a few years for, for the Bears. I mean, the Bears have had good linebackers over a period of time. You look at uh, what they were able to do for a long period of time in Baltimore. I've always been told that you don't value something when you don't have it. And maybe that's the reason they said it. But what, for whatever reason, why do the Packers not value as much that middle linebacking section? It's just not as important of a position in today's game as it used to be. Um, you certainly look at last year's Super Bowl champion, Kansas City Chiefs. They had a worse linebacking situation as far as off-ball linebackers than the Packers. They still have terrible off-ball linebackers. It doesn't slow them down much. Uh, you, you know, you, you talk about, uh, you, you gotta love the guys in Tampa, but you know, Pittsburgh, a, another situation where they're not great. New Orleans is a, another top five defense by DVOA where they're not great. Uh, the Packers Super Bowl team of 2010, you had a six round pick in Desmond Bishop and a guy widely, widely regarded as, as somewhat of an underachiever in AJ Hawk. 
it's 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 a it's a passing league and a lot of the best run defenses right now are actually predicated by the defensive lines and how uh you know good those guys are up front i i i understand you know some of the uh the issues but but you look at even what belichick has done in new england without you know phenomenal sideline to sideline linebackers uh you know his willingness to let go and bring back Jamie Collins about a hundred times. You just, you, you look at the the good teams in the league and even some of the top uh, defenses, you even look at, you know, the, the Rams who again have a top eight defense in the league and their willingness to let Corey Littleton go. It's, it's just not a position uh, that I would rank, you know, very highly as far as if I'm building a team, I tell you what, um, good defensive line a good edge player a really good free safety and and good corners are all positions that i would prefer uh and put resources into before i'd worry about an off the ball linebacker he's ross uglum andy herman joining us as well packerreport.com this is the bill michael settle we're going to step away take a quick break going to come back and talk about this offense of the green bay packers and what is going to make it go we'll get into that discussion coming up next the bill michael settle brought to you by bud light seltzer unquestionably good Brewed with that unique five-step filtration process that ensures a cleaner finish and no lingering aftertaste, only 100 calories more right after this. Everywhere in Wisconsin, the Bill Michaels Sports Talk Network. It's one of the faster units we'll have played this year. They're physical. They, they know how to attack the ball. And it's just, it's hard to get big plays on them. So we got to do a great job of stopping their D-line from getting them going. I wouldn't say they're overly complicated in terms of what they're going to do, specifically in the back end. But what they do, they do it so damn well. I mean, there's a reason they're the number one defense in the National Football League. Welcome back to the program. Those are the words of Matt LaFleur, head coach for your Green Bay Packers. It's the Bill Michaels Huddle. It's presented by our good friends at Bud Light Seltzer, unquestionably good, coming in four different flavors, cranberry, grapefruit, pineapple, and strawberry flavors. Go to BudLight.com. That's BudLight.com for all that they have to offer. Andy Herman, Ross Uglum, PackerReport.com. They're joining us on the panel again tonight. So, uh, Ross, I'll start with you this time. I am uh, on, an, I'm on a station in Indianapolis this afternoon. And they asked me a question, and they wanted to debate it. And they said, what makes the Packers' offense so dangerous this year? Is it the play calling of Matt LaFleur or the play of Aaron Rodgers? And as I started to say the combination of both, they say, well, Rodgers wasn't good at the end of Mike McCarthy's reign because he was patting and holding onto the ball. Therefore, it's the play calling and it's the coaching. And so I'll ask you the same thing. You tell me, what has made the Packers' offense so good this season? Uh, it's, it's something actually, you know, Bill, that I, I mentioned on your show in the preseason, I, you probably don't remember, but I, I said, I remember everything dish- you tell me. <laughs> okay. I, <laughs> I said there will be this season addition by subtraction that Geronimo Allison and Jimmy Graham were so destructive and got so many snaps that even just putting replacement level players in those two spots was going to lead to a leap in production from the offense. And, and I think you've seen that. I think you've seen Tunyon be, you know, whatever, the 16th best tight end in the league. But but, but by being an average starting tight end, uh, the production from that spot has been increased. I think you've seen, you know, just the, the round table of whether it's been a running back in that spot or a 
tight end in that spot or when Lazard played that spot, Geronimo's position ha- has been improved. And then other than that, yeah, just year two in, in Matt LaFleur's system, I think has been huge for this offense. They've been excellent schematically. It's stuff that myself and, and our guy, Dusty Evely and, and, and Andy, of course, as well, have been dr- breaking down all season long, which is not to discount the individual efforts of, of Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams and even Aaron Jones. But I just, I don't think that this resurgence would have happened without Matt LaFleur. I don't think if this is now year 12 of Mike McCarthy, the, the Packers have the number two offense in football per DVOA. I, I just don't think that that's realistic. Andy, you tell me what, uh, what makes this thing go? Is it more the play calling and Matt LaFleur or is it Aaron Rodgers buying into Matt LaFleur? Yeah, I think it's a little bit of all of the above. I think Ross brings up a great point with replacing Jimmy Graham and Geronimo Allison, uh, you know, really with, you know, uh, you know, more playing time for MBS and then obviously Robert Tunyon as well. I think that's been a big step. I also think that this offensive line deserves an absolute ton of credit. They have been so ridiculously good and they were a good offensive line last year, but people forget, you know, David Bakhtiari struggled a little bit with power rush uh, to begin the season last year. Billy Turner struggled at the, at the end of last year at right guard. Um, there were kind of some, some flaws in and out uh, Lane Taylor before Elton Jenkins took that spot over. I just think this offensive line this year has even taken a step even further in the right direction and has really been solid all, all season long. And I think that's where it starts, but then you take, you know, Aaron, Rodgers really buying into that Matt LaFleur, you know, system in his second year. And he is getting the ball out of his hand quicker. He's not scrambling around. He is playing within the confines of the offense, which as he sort of reaches this, you know, 37, 38, 39 year, you know, year age of his career. Um, that's what you want to see out of him. You don't want to see him necessarily scrambling out of the pocket and buying time and trying to create plays. It's great that he can do it when things break down and and in case of emergency break glass sort of situations. But I love seeing him play within the pocket and within the confines of the offense and getting getting rid of the ball and getting into his playmaker's hands. As much as I want to see, Ross, him drop back, get rid of the ball, hit guys on quick outs, misdirection, bootlegs, all that different stuff, This game excites me because this game is going to be one in the trenches. This is going to be where that offensive line holds off that defensive front. And and I guess the biggest question is not only – we know they're a good, really good pass-blocking team, but they didn't do much against a hard-hitting Jacksonville defense this past week when it came to running the football. Does this offensive line have the capability now that everybody's back to actually create holes against a good, strong, faster defense that Aaron Jones and Jamal Williams and A.J. Dillon and such can get through? Uh, I'm I'm not I'm not convinced of that. Uh, right now, the Packers are 13th in in run DVOA on offense. Um, I've, I've pointed on a number of occasions where they have not been able to get that push. I think a lot of their best runs are misdirection, are scheme, uh, are, are using because I I do believe that they have and their draft profile would tell you that they have very athletic linemen. David Bakhtiari is a good athlete. Elton Jenkins is a phenomenal athlete. Um, I think Lindsley is an above average athlete. That is great. But the, the imposing their will, uh, especially, you know, on, on Buckner or uh, certainly on Grover Stewart, I, I don't see that happening. And so I, I do actually think that this is potentially going to have to be uh, a situation where they, they throw the ball to establish the run, which is the opposite, you know, kind of the upside down of what people, uh, normally understand the tenets of football to be, but 
right now uh, they're a much better throwing team than they are a running team. They will run the ball. They will try to, you know, kind of keep folks honest, but Rogers even mentioned he's excited. You know, the, the weather in the dome is going to be 71 degrees and zero miles an hour wind. And he hasn't seen that in a minute. And I think that their ability to get up and down the field is something that is going to excite him. And and I think they'll, they'll run the ball because Matt LaFleur is, is not going to not run the ball, but I think if Green Bay wins this game, it's going to be via the air. Andy, when you look at the trenches, the one thing that I really uh, like to see is the fact that the Packers are ranked fourth overall in the NFL on third down. But the problem, going back to that offensive line, and I'll follow up, on third and short, it's been problematic. They have been not they have not been able to convert nearly as much as they would like to. Part of it is just because it's not real creative and they're trying to run the ball and they're trying to run it, you know, dead nuts up the middle against good staunch defenses. What does this team need to do? Because they're fourth in the NFL on third down, specifically on third and long. They're converting like crazy. But on third and shorts, they're problematic. Why? Yeah, I mean, I think part of it is is exactly what Ross mentioned, and they have to figure out a way that they can enforce their will a little bit more on those third and short situations. A lot of their, you know, run successes come with motion and, and, you know, kind of baking it in off of what also kind of looks like play action and really kind of confusing defenses. And when you kind of strip all of that away and it's a third and short situation and, you know, teams really aren't buying as much of the motion and stuff like that, and it's just you got to move the person in front of you, Green Bay has struggled in those situations. So I think that's got to be something that's better. I think Rogers mentioned that one of those third and one, uh, you know, rushes this past week that didn't turn out was really just kind of a, a missed assignment sort of play that they didn't block it up correctly. You know, that would obviously go a long way as well, but this is one of those situations where, you know, it, it, it's best player against best player. You get Corey Lindsley and Elton Jenkins on the inside against the Forrest Buckner, and you got to see what, uh, you know, you can kind of make work. It's one of the, really the matchups that I earmarked at the beginning of the season. There's another one on the other side of the ball as well, but uh, DeForest Buckner versus Elton Jenkins and Corey Lindsley is, you know, pay-per-view TV along the, you know, right in the trenches. So I'm looking forward to that, and I'm looking to see if, if Lindsley and Jenkins and the rest of that offensive line are up to the challenge. Ross, uh, with no Irvin, and it looks with those that rib injury, most likely he's not going to be participating in this game. With no Tyler Irvin, they don't have as much motion. They don't have as much movement. Who would be the next man up when it comes to that movement? Are we talking about moving a guy, say, wide receiver-wise, like Marquez Valdez-Scantling and the ability to, to get into motion, slot receiver, like a guy like Alan Lazard? Who would be that next guy that you're going to start moving around to make this uh, make a defense think? I think the the two ways you can kind of go about it, you saw um, MVS do like on the Devontae Adams kind of jump ball touchdown where Rodgers had just that gorgeous play action fake. Mm -hmm. The jet man was Marquez Valdez Scantling. And if anybody on the roster has just the raw speed to make some of that stuff work, it's him. I think the other opportunity that you have now that you're, I would assume getting AJ Dillon back. uh, I, I think you can have, Jamal Williams and AJ Dillon as more of the downhill threat. And you can use Aaron Jones in some arc motion, uh, maybe some orbit motion or, or just flat jet, you know, just jet with, with Aaron Jones. I think he has some of that ability to be shifty uh, though. I will, I will say this um, I, I, as I said with Tampa, I, I do not think trying to beat Indianapolis to the edge in the run game is going to be the ticket. I, I really think that that is uh potentially going to be poor self-scouting and, and not that they're going to do that, but I, I just, I would not advise anything of that nature. 
Let's do this. We'll step away. We'll take a quick break. We'll come back. I want to talk a little bit more about A.J. Dillon, too, coming back into this contest. I want to get into his performance so far this season and progression as well. Andy Herman, Ross Uglum, PackerReport.com. I'm Bill Michaels. This is the Bill Michaels Huddle, presented by Bud Light Seltzer, unquestionably good, naturally carbonated, gluten-free, and includes no artificial flavors. Go to BudLight.com. More of the Huddle coming up right after this. Wisconsin-wide, the Bill Michaels Sports Talk Network. You know, we had a couple games early in the season where we really ran the ball well, and we got to get back to uh, controlling the line of scrimmage a little more. In the meantime, you know, I think we've been throwing it, uh, you know, throwing it pretty well. Got to keep finding ways to get uh, certain guys involved. You know, I'm not sure what Allen's status will be this week uh, and Devontae, but uh, hopefully those guys will be able to go and, and we'll kind of look a little more like we did in week one. That's when they were uh, moving the ball almost at will against a decent, not a great, but a decent Minnesota Vikings defense. Welcome back. It's the Bill Michaels Huddle brought to you by our friends at Bud Light Seltzer. Unquestionably good. Brewed with a unique five-step filtration process that ensures a cleaner finish, no lingering aftertaste, and only 100 calories. Joined by Andy Herman and Ross Uglum, Packer Report. Com. Andy, I'll start with you. A.J. Dillon, we were talking about if he's back this week. He has not seen a ton of times, specifically in, in short yardage situation. Now, do, do you agree with me? The one thing that I've, I've, I've looked at A.J. Dillon and I've watched him run, he grades really high when, he's, when he does get opportunities via pro football focus, although they've been extremely limited. But doesn't run behind his pads all the time. He's more upright. Until he learns how to kind of run behind his pads and run behind that helmet, he can't be that battering ram on third and short, fourth and short that they're kind of needing or goal line stands. I don't think they trust him just enough yet to be that guy in that particular situation. Do you agree? I 100% agree, and I think that trust word is the exact one that you hit right on the head. I think they have to be able to trust him not only to run behind his pads, but is he going to be capable to pick up blocks? Is he going to be the capable capable receiver out of the backfield that they want him to be? And while I think he's a much better receiver out of the backfield than a lot of people in the draft community maybe thought that he was, uh, you're still not necessarily lining him out, out wide like you maybe are a Jamal Williams uh, or an Aaron Jones yet still. So he still has a little bit of a ways to go before he's kind of an all-around back. And I'm sure Matt LaFleur and a lot of people within this organization would like to see A.J. Dillon get more playing time. Um, I would like to see A.J. Dillon get more playing time, but I don't think it's at the expense of Jamal Williams or Aaron Jones. Those are just two running backs that are a couple steps ahead of A.J. Dillon at this point in their respective careers. Uh, A.J. Dillon's got a lot of time ahead of him, especially with what's probably going to happen in this upcoming free agent. Agency. And uh, this, this draft pick specifically was really meant for next year and, and probably the, a few years after that. But uh, we, would it be great to see him a little bit more and maybe in some goal line situations? Yes. But like you said, you hit the nail on the head with that trust word. I, uh, Ross, that takes me to the next kind of phase of this because they signed David Bakhtiari. They left themselves some flexibility. Would you be surprised if they do not get Aaron Jones locked up by the end of the season Looking that, you know, while A.J. Dillon has had at times playing time, he's, he's not the, the end-all, be-all. I mean, it has been Aaron Jones, the Aaron Jones show. He's been dynamic. He's been a pass catcher. He's been a guy that's picking up blitzes, and he's ran the ball extremely well. He is dynamic. Would you be surprised if they do not sign Aaron Jones? I, I wouldn't. Um, and and the reason I say that uh, is just because there are so many – running backs right now that are projected to be free agents and and he's he's earned what he's earned and 
there are teams like the Patriots and the Jaguars that are going to have zillions of, of dollars uh, to spend on running backs, but he he's just, he's one of, of many. I mean, uh, obviously Tyler Irvin and Jamal Williams are going to be free agents, but so is Kenyon Drake. So is Todd Gurley. So is Mike Davis, who has done, looked so good filling in for uh, Christian McCaffrey. Um, Matt Breida is, is again going to be available. James White. I, I go, the list goes on and on and on. Uh, Chris Carson in Seattle is going to be made available. Leonard Fournette's going to be made available. There are, are, are tons of guys that might not be quite in Aaron Jones' stratosphere, but at the same time, there are, are, are functional uh, starter-level running backs out there. And you, you just take a look at you know James Robinson in, in, in Jacksonville. You, you can find running backs – all over creation. And, and that's why I, I don't think you're going to see eight, nine, 10, 12 million bucks a year for Aaron Jones when they had to uh, go to, you know, the highest paid offensive lineman ever level with, with Bakhtiari. And, and they're, they're going to have to, you know, kind of hoard away their money for probably top paid defensive back in the league money for Jair Alexander. They paid Kenny Clark. Um, not everyone can get paid. It's just the, the nature of the beast. And if there is a replacement, you know, replacement level position uh, on, on, on the football field in the NFL, it's probably tailback. Does uh, that mean, Andy, that you would assume he's not going to be back? Or do you think the market is not going to bear maybe what they're looking for, therefore they do come back because of the situation he likes in Green Bay? Yeah, that's what I think is going to make it so difficult to try to prognosticate and figure out, you know, what's going to happen in this next offseason is we don't know 100% for sure what that salary cap is going to be. You're going to have teams that like right now are almost, you know, projected to be like 100 mil over the cap that are going to have to release really good players. And I think we've started to see over the course of the last couple of seasons, teams have really started to value those really top high-end players and then really fill out their rosters with some of the cheap draft picks and undrafted free agents and some of that cheap talent that they can have for controllable years. And then some of the, the middle tier type players can kind of get lost in the shuffle. And I really expect that to be the case. So interestingly enough, while Green Bay is not in a great position, they're in a better position than a lot of other teams. And if all of a sudden the, the prices really start to drop on a player like, a, you know, an Aaron Jones or a Kevin King, I think it might open up, almost open it up more than in other seasons where Green Bay might even have a little bit more to spend. But it, it's really difficult to predict. And, and frankly, right now, um, I, I really like Aaron Jones. But for a player that's in a contract year, he's had some injuries. He, I don't think he's been quite as good this year as he had, has been in the last couple of years. I think he really needs to show out over the course of the rest of the season if he really wants to get paid as one of the top premier running backs in this league. The guy we don't talk about at all is Corey Lindsley. And the one thing that I find each and every week, uh, Ross, he's not on that injury report. He's just a rock in the middle. He's a good blocker. He's really good with checking down and checking the blocking schemes and being in sync with Aaron Rodgers. Do you think they're able to keep him? I mean, it's one of those things where you, you, you kind of look at it and say, eh, you know, center, dime a dozen, we drafted another guy. But to find good lockdown offensive linemen like Corey Lindsay, do, do they just let him go? I, I mean, I think they do, uh, which is unfortunate in that he is an elite player at his position. He has been an elite player at his position and continues 
uh, to, to do really, really well. And, and, um, you know, he's going to turn 30 next July. They have Lucas Patrick, who I think is actually a little bit physically overmatched the guard. I think actually Lucas Patrick's best position is probably center. Uh, Elton Jenkins, obviously super capable of playing center. That's where he played for Mississippi state. I just, with, with John Runyon jr. In my opinion, a future NFL starter, somebody that they view as a, a future NFL starter. If there's money to be saved, you can certainly see the Lucas Patrick center, John Runyon Jr. right guard future for this team. And and being able to save and pay the, the left guard, the center, and the right guard almost no money. And all of a sudden now Billy Turner's seven million bucks a year looks like an absolute freaking steal. Being able to pay left guard, center, right guard, right tackle up 10, 11 million bucks because you're paying the left tackle 20 million bucks plus uh, that becomes a luxury. I think they might need. And while in my opinion, Corey Lindsley has earned every dime coming to him. I I don't know as though those dimes are going to come from green Bay. Let's do this. We'll step away, take a quick break. When I come back, uh, I want to talk a little special teams because there may be just a modicum of concern there. We've got Andy Herman, Ross Uglum alongside PackerReport.com. This is the Bill Michael Suttle presented by Bud Light Seltzer. Unquestionably good. We'll be back right after this. You're listening to the Bill Michaels Sports Talk Network. We don't want to get caught up too much in the in the mental part. It's it, it's important, but at the same time, it's it's going to come down to to uh, to winning our one on ones. But it's always a challenge to go against uh, to go against Philip just you know, just because of ha- how good he is at, at at having an understanding of what you're in, and then having the ability to put his team in in the uh, in the best possible play. Mike Patton, defensive coordinator for the Green Bay Packers. Welcome back to the program. It's Bill Michaels uh, Huddle, brought to you by our friends at Bud Light Seltzer unquestionably good and go to budlight.com their website andy herman ross uglum packerreport.com uh want to talk a little special teams for a while we uh knew that mason crosby was ailing and he was not uh you know being the guy on kickoffs and uh, long field goals no problem but for the most part it was jk scott now jk scott finds himself on the injury report with with back spasms any concern in the special teams kicking area andy yeah, I don't know that I have any sort of level of concern with the the players or the, you know the injuries individually. I think you know Mason Crosby is still going to be able to kick. I think you know J.K. Scott's still going to be able to punt. But I do have some level of concern just how the special teams has performed overall. Whether that's J.K. Scott shaking you know shaking punts here and there, you know whether that's Mason Crosby a little bit injury related, not being able to maybe you know kick from fifty five yards and maybe not being able to do kickoffs and things like that. Those are things that concern me a little bit. Obviously, when you're allowing punt returns for touchdowns, that's of concern. So the, the special teams as a whole is starting to concern me more than I think a lot of people would like uh, but uh, I think overall the health of, of J.K. Scott and Mason Crosby hopefully won't play a huge part in this game. Why do we year after year after year Ross look at special teams and go can't find a guy that's going to be a big time returner you, you, you know look we, I can't remember the last time we had a returner that was consistently a threat I go back to Alan Rossum uh, way way back ago uh, but it's just it's been so difficult to find that guy. Even even Irvin has been good at times, but not great. And half the time they're fair catching more than they are actually creating some kind of a return. Yeah, and I mean, I think the that play kickoff return and punt return has been kind of identified as a 
potential collision play, something, you know, that they're trying to phase out of the game. Obviously, you know, the, it was either the AAF or the XFL just, just didn't do it. You just started with the ball. Um, I, I think that position is being marginalized. I don't think there are a ton of teams uh, from a roster building standpoint that saved a spot for just a returner. And you do end up with guys that have other roles on the team, you know, like a Tyler Urban being used as a gadget player and a returner. And, and by and large, I, th- I think he's been good. Um, did not appreciate his performance against Jacksonville. Thought he really struggled. Thought that he let some balls hit the ground that cost Green Bay 15 yards, sometimes 10, 15 yards uh, of field position. And that was a, a problem. And, you know, I think they've they've had looks, obviously, you know, Tremont was very good at it. And then all of a sudden he got to be too valuable to the defense. And Randall Cobb was extremely good at it. And by his second year, he was too valuable to the offense and and so on and so forth. I, I think that's something, uh, you know, I, I would tell you probably the best punt returner on the team is Jair Alexander. Go back and watch his Louisville tape mm-hmm. uh, in a billion years. Are they going to let him field punts? No. Right. Yeah, and that's part of the problem. You're usually special teams are a reflection of the the depth that you have when it comes to quality, speed, depth, return, depth, things like that. And, and that's usually the reflection of what it is you have as far as the depth in your team, whether it's secondary or wide receiving core. So uh, I completely understand where you're coming from. This team that they're going to face in Indianapolis, uh, I want to go back to you, Andy. Frank Reich, he's impressed me as a head coach, uh, and he's very aggressive. He does not mind going forward on fourth down. As a matter of fact, I think they're one of the top teams in the league. Uh, if it's fourth and short and it's decent, uh, decent amount of, uh, of field position, he's to, to hell with it he's going for it uh do you like watching a coach like that and is it going to be fun to watch a Packers defense try to defend a coach that has the all chips are in the middle of the table mentality yeah I mean I think from a defensive side of things you hate when teams are going for it on fourth down and you know anytime you can get off the field on third down and force them to punt you, you know or kick a field goal you're excited anytime you see them come back out for fourth down it's it's deflating in a way and it certainly gives the offense uh, a little bit of a you know, jolt of adrenaline as well. Aaron Rodgers mentioned in his press conference that he likes it when Matt LaFleur is more aggressive. I think we're starting to see the analytics kind of seep in a little bit here and starting to see some of these situations where they're telling you, hey, it's it's better to go for it in the long term than, than punt and kick in a lot of these situations. And while I don't think the NFL is ever going to become like baseball and become, you know, 90% analytics in certain situations, um, I definitely think we're starting to see it seep in a little bit more. And as a fan, I mean, heck yeah, I would much rather see really exciting fourth down situations than a punter coming out in the field and as Ross mentioned as we start seeing you know teams are uh, you know fair catching more and and the league's trying to do away with some of the returns because they're a safety risk which rightfully so but those become less exciting plays and I think really a way to you know maybe get away from that is is by having some of these coaches who are more willing to go for it on fourth down not sure I agree with the the analytic that said the Packers should have went for it on fourth and one on their own 25 and that that was a huge mistake by Matt LaFleur a week ago but I do like seeing these situations where the pressure gets amped up and I think everyone on both sides really kind of amps up for those specific plays one of the things that gives Frank the ability after listening to some of his stuff this week uh Ross is the fact that they play in a dome 
Uh, it's a controlled environment. Grass isn't slipping. You don't have wet ball. You don't have wind. You don't have things like that. It's because they play in a dome. The Packers have played extremely well in a dome. They played well in, in Minnesota. They played well down in the uh, dome down in uh, New Orleans. The, the question is, and it always is when in the Aaron Rodgers era, you want home field advantage. You want that first round by. You want to be able to control it through Lambeau Field, specifically in the cold weather in January going into February. Would you rather see the Packers go on the road and play in a dome in the postseason? I don't think so. I mean, um, it's a, it, it, to me, it's an interesting question this year with no fans. I think if there were fans in Lambeau Field, even as well as Green Bay's offense works in 72 degrees with no wind, um, you'd still, I think, want to have – the fans uh, that bring the energy at Lambeau field want to bring teams into the uncomfortable atmosphere of the cold in, you know, December and January uh, green Bay having of course won their last playoff game at Lambeau field in the, their relative destruction of the uh, Seahawks. I know they made it close late, but green Bay was pretty much in control of that mm-hmm. entire game this year. It's, it's a little bit more of a coin flip. I still think you want, would rather be at home on the road, especially um, if you know, that other team's city is allowing fans, uh, the, the, you know, you don't want hostile fans if you can avoid them, but it's hard to argue with, you know, the results this season. I mean, that's, you mentioned it. the, uh, us bank game was a, a big deal for them. They played extremely well, uh, at, at Minnesota, the game in new Orleans was, you know, potentially their best performance. And then, uh, you look at some of their and, and I think they played pretty well against Houston as well. And you look at some of their worst performances as far as, uh, you know, being outside. I don't think anybody's real pleased with what happened against Tampa or home against Minnesota or Jacksonville. Mm-hmm. So it's, right. it's tough. But but ultimately, yeah, I mean, I think um, you'd rather see more than anything, the number one seed Green Bay Packers. We'll pick up where we left off. We got one hour down. I can't believe it. That was fast. One hour yet to go. Uh, Also, at the bottom of the next hour, start to take a look around the rest of the National Football League. you got the Seahawks and the Cardinals, a good one, coming up tonight. We'll uh, make our picks for all the games throughout the NFL. That is coming up in the second hour of the Bill Michaels Huddle, presented by uh, Bud Light Seltzer. Unquestionably good. Andy Herman, Ross Uglum, PackerReport.com. I'm Bill Michaels. We've got more right after this. Sports Talk Network. In 49 other states, football is just a game. But this is Wisconsin. The Green Bay Packers have won the Super Bowl. The Lombardi Trophy is coming home. Wisconsin fans demand the best. The best analysis, the best interviews, the best coverage, and no one delivers like the Bill Michaels Huddle.
Ah, we're glad you're back. Hour number two of the Bill Michaels Huddle presented by Bud Light Seltzer. Unquestionably good. We continue on. Joined tonight, Andy Herman, Ross Uglum, PackerReport.com, joining us on the panel. I want to pick up where we left off when we were talking about home field advantage and uh, for the Green Bay Packers. Andy, I didn't get a chance to get over to you and ask your opinion on this, but uh, the Packers have played better in domes. And in a, in a time in which we're not really seeing fans in the stands, even if it's ten or 15,000 at this point, I don't think it makes that huge of a difference. Would you rather see the Green Bay Packers in January go to a dome, uh, or would you rather see them still uh, be at Lambeau Field? Yeah, I do think it's a really interesting question just based off of how they've played at home against Minnesota, how they played at home against Jacksonville. I mean, the the coaches and the players specifically are saying, you know, they didn't have the juice, they didn't have the energy. So based off of how things are right now in Green Bay, it's tough to foresee a situation where there's going to be fans in the stands in Green Bay come December and January. If there are, it's likely to be very, very limited. Um, So I I do think it's a valid conversation point and a, a valid topic, but I think the the real tough part here is overcoming the idea that, you know, the buy is probably the most important thing in the playoffs more so even than home field advantage, because I think so far, at least going into last week, the the road teams are winning as much, if not more than the home team. So it's, it's not that the home field advantage matters so much, but not having to face one of these teams, unless maybe you're facing the NFC East team in the first round, uh, but not having to face one of these really good NFC teams in the, in the opening round is a huge benefit. So I still think it's way more beneficial to shoot for that number one seed, but if Green Bay, some reason falls back a little bit and has to go on the road and play in new Orleans or, you know, you know, Los Angeles, one of these spots, Tampa Bay. I don't know that they're going to necessarily mind it all that much. Uh, I, I want to ask you, Ross, I'll start here. The, the way this team, uh, first of all, we wake up on Sunday and they're the top team in the NFC. And, and then the questions begin. Well, can they really get past an NFC championship game? Is this going to be a wash, rinse, repeat type of postseason for the Green Bay Packers? The Packers beat New Orleans. New Orleans has beat the hell out of Tampa Bay. Seattle fell. Arizona won. L.A. is on the come. I mean, with everything being even, are the Packers really the best team in the NFC right now, in your opinion? Probably. Um, I think you you get into matchups, right, and what do teams do well? I think Green Bay, you, you love to play Seattle and their terrible pass defense and a team you've proven, you know, you can beat. You've proven that you can handle New Orleans. Uh, but but teams that are, are, are really, really good up front, like the Los Angeles Rams and uh, obviously the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, you're, you're, a little, you're a little wary of. You're, you're even a little wary of, you know, maybe like a 1-8 or a 2-7 matchup with, with the Vikings and having to see uh, Dalvin Cook in the cold of, of Lambeau Field. I think this year in the NFC, it is a lot about matchups because – you know, we, we talked about San Francisco as the gatekeeper and they, they just aren't there. They're not going to be the gatekeepers this year. They suffered too many injuries. They had too many guys leave that roster, uh, too much regression from the quarterback position, and they're just not going to be the gatekeeper. And I don't think Green Bay has fallen off enough to not then be considered at the top of, of the conference. And they do have, like you said, that signature win at New Orleans to prove that they can beat an elite team on the road uh they're seven and two they win this game they, they move to eight and two and i think uh 12 and four or 13 and three again is certainly within the realm of possibility and and you know what though if you made an argument for tampa or you wanted to make an argument for uh even seattle i would certainly listen to it 
The uh, sleeper that I think in all of this is the, the, the Rams. Watching that Rams defense just annihilate Russell Wilson and just keep him under pressure all day, Andy. That's a team that they're running the ball, and you don't, you're not asking Goff to go win you games just to maintain and allow that defense to do its thing. That's the one team that nobody's talking about, and that's the team, at least out of all, say, the top teams in the NFC, that's the one team that I think is probably the one on the come. Is there another one that you're thinking of? I would be with you. I think the Rams are that team that's on the come up, although Arizona is certainly intriguing as well. I think the issue with the Rams is, you know, ultimately Jared Goff. And it's one thing to have a team that, you know, you can kind of win without a quarterback in the regular season. As we've seen, even with the Rams in the past, we saw it with the, the Mitch Trubisky-led Bears, uh, with the, who had an insanely good defense in the year of the double doink. Uh, we've seen some of these teams have really good teams, but when it gets to the playoffs, if you don't have that guy at quarterback, it, it can really make it difficult to kind of escape and win two or three games and ultimately get to and win a Super Bowl. Even Jimmy Garoppolo a season ago, yeah, they got there, but they really struck, you know, they couldn't obviously seal the deal and win over the Chiefs. I see a flawed NFC everywhere. And I think there's a lot of really good teams. I think it really lacks a great team. And I think that includes Green Bay. I think we've seen Green Bay struggle with run defense. The Seahawks struggle with pass defense. The Rams have Jared Goff. The Cardinals are still very young and, and certainly within that Cliff Kingsbury and, uh, you know, j- just that overall offense and, and how young they are. I, I just think that there's flaws everywhere within the NFC. And I think it's there for the taking. Uh, but there's going to be six or seven teams that ultimately could come away with this if they get hot at the right time. Uh, I was asked today if the Packers, if Aaron Rodgers does not throw the pick six, Ross, in Tampa Bay, the way they were moving the football, even though they did not put it in the end zone on that first drive, is that an entirely different game? It seemed like the pick six and then the pick immediately following, those two things completely derailed everything. If they don't turn the ball over, are we possibly talking about a different outcome? Potentially, and I think, you know, you saw uh, Rodgers get beat up I think, you know, you saw David Bakhtiari go out of the game. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's a it's a tough matchup either way. But if, if that's a punt, you know, it's 10 nothing Packers. Uh, they they played as well or better than Tampa for the first, third, and fourth quarters. But the second quarter was just an absolute abomination. I mean, that, that was their worst quarter of football in I don't know how long. I would guess one of the first two quarters of the uh, NFC Championship game last year in Santa Clara. And it completely changed the flow of that game and led credence to this idea that the Packers are a little bit soft when they get punched in the mouth. And uh, that was certainly a game where they got punched in the mouth. I, uh, I like the fact that the Packers match up well against other teams in the NFC, Andy, but maybe it just comes down to a team they don't match up well with. We've seen this before. Well, they'll go through and annihilate certain teams and you think, well, they're the top dog. But maybe they just don't match up mono and mono, especially in the trenches, just don't match up well against Tampa Bay. And Tampa Bay would be the one team maybe you don't want to see in the postseason, right? I think that's entirely fair. And I think just based off of what we saw in that last matchup with Green Bay, as Ross mentioned, that Tampa Bay defense was able to get physical. They were able to blitz Aaron Rodgers. They had no fear. They had the corners to match up with the the Green Bay wide receivers, and that made things a lot tougher. They were stacking the box, not allowing it, you know the, the running game to get going, and uh, I think that made things a lot more difficult. But to your point, Bill, 
I, I'm not sure if, if there, there aren't basically two pick sixes in that game. I'm not sure that that game doesn't end up entirely different, uh, especially, um, you, you know, just uh, they would have been able to stay within the confines of their offense. I, I think once they got down, I mean, it went from them being up 10 to nothing to them being down 28 to 10 in a blink of an eye, which was mm-hmm. super uncharacteristic. And by the time they got the ball back in the second half, they were throwing on every down. And then that's when Bakhtiari goes out. Rick Wagner comes in, plays a left tackle that he's really not fit to play. That was probably a mistake in that game. And now you've got Jason Pierre-Paul and that entire defense, uh, Shaq Barrett, you know, teeing off on a, a left tackle that probably shouldn't be in there. And everything just unraveled from there. So I don't think Green Bay is going to fear Tampa, but I, of, of all the teams in the NFC, I think you can also make a strong you know, case that maybe that's not the team that they would prefer to see uh, come the playoff time. Going to take a quick break, going to come back, continue on with the Packers and the Colts chatter, and then at the bottom of the hour, we're going to get into making our picks around the rest of the NFL. The Bill Michaels Huddle presented by Bud Light Seltzer, unquestionably good. Andy Herman, Ross Uglum, PackerReport.com, along for the ride tonight on the panel. Stay tuned. we got more right after this. 16 stations strong. The Bill Michaels Sports Talk Network. Uh, obviously, yeah, we've had a couple things happen to us in the last couple weeks, and it's something you don't want to have happen. Um, again, we're going to use it as a learning experience, and we do. We've talked about trying to, you know, some of the, sometimes in special teams we talk about with field position and, and some of the things that happen. Um, you know, we definitely do need to to stop the the negative things from happening to us and try to create some positive plays. Obviously, we're trying to scheme things up in the return game to create big plays, and we're trying to block punts and those kind of things. It just hasn't worked out for us. But we carry those things into each week, and you know, we're trying our best to to get those things accomplished. Welcome back to the program. That is special teams coach, Mr. Menenga. Talking about the special teams, which we were chatting about just a little while ago, as a matter of fact. Trying to get the special teams even better. It's the Bill Michael Suttle presented by Bud Light Seltzer. Unquestionably good. Andy Herman, Ross Uglum, PackerReport.com along this, uh, for the ride tonight. Uh, Andy, I'll start with you. I, I, there's some keys to this matchup that I look at, and I think um, there's some things I want to circle. One of the things I always circle is third down percentage. The uh, the Indianapolis Colts come into this contest, when offensively speaking, terrible on third down they're 30th as a matter of fact Packers tied for first or excuse me uh, tied for fourth when it comes to uh, when it comes to third down percentage and being able to move the football this is then again I had mentioned Frank Reich also likes to go for it on fourth down and fourth and short situations but uh, when I look at the trenches there's a couple of things I look at you obviously look at turnovers but that's one statistic that I always look at and say if you're going to win the game that's where you're going to win. It's not necessarily time of possession. You're going to win the game by getting off the field on third down. What do you look at when you look at a contest like this? Yeah, I think any of these, you know, the the super low-hanging fruit, and I'm not breaking news here, is always going to be the turnover battle. That's obviously 1A. Um, I, what I'm really looking for also, same thing as you, Bill, is in the trenches. I want to see, you know, both of these heavyweight fights along the offensive and defensive lines, whether that's DeForest Buckner versus Corey Lindsley and Elton Jenkins, whether that's Quentin Nelson versus Kenny Clark. I want to see who's winning in the trenches up front. And oftentimes, if you're looking up front and who's winning those battles early, that's going to tell you who's kind of dictating the pace and kind of the just overall game up front. And 
I think that's going to play a huge part in this game. To me, 1A that I'm going to be also looking at very, very early is Kenny Clark, Zadarius Smith, Preston Smith, Rashawn Gary, the core four of that pass rush. Are they getting home? Are they being able to get to Phillip Rivers? Because this is a veteran quarterback where if you're not getting pressure on him, he's going to be able to pick you apart. He's going to be able to check down when he needs to. He's going to be able to check the runs when he needs to. You've got to not be vanilla against him. And those core four have got to find ways to get pressure on him because, again, he will pick you apart all day long if you don't. Ross, you got uh, Preston Smith going to the coaches saying, hey, I, I get, let me do my thing, and uh, apparently is playing better. Do you see better in progress out of Preston Smith and an uptick in his performance? Oh, oh for sure. Yeah, I mean, uh, the two non-Zadarius Smith rushers played maybe their best games of the season against Jacksonville. Uh, pass rush only works better on turf. You know, I mean, you get better ball, get off, certainly have better traction when you're trying to run the arc. I think every pass rusher would love to play inside. Uh, I think this is a, an opportunity for both Rashawn Gary and Preston Smith, and of course, Zadarius Smith, to hopefully get after a immobile quarterback, but he's a crafty guy. I mean, uh, Rivers historically does not necessarily take a ton of sacks. When uh, we were at Super Bowl and uh, talking to a lot of the, you know, the, the kind of the, the critics, if you will, on Radio Row, uh, when I asked them about the Packers defense, they talked about Dean Lowry, Tyler Lancaster and company. And they said, look, they're just guys. And Montrevious Adams just isn't living up to the billing. Andy, I'll start with you. Kingsley Kiki, I thought, is, I think, has is, is played pretty well, just at least from what I've had a chance to see in that limited limited play that he's had. But Dean Lowry gets the contract. Tyler Lancaster, we know he works his ass off. There's no doubt about that. But Montrevious Adams banged up again. Are these just guys, Andy? Yeah. And ultimately, I like to be, you know, fairly positive on things. But to me, Dean Lowry has been one of the most disapp- you know, disappointing players on the entirety of the team, whether it's as a run defender, whether it's as a, a pass rusher, he hasn't really held up his side of the bargain on uh, either. You know, he had a nice tip ball this last game, which uh, was a nice play. But uh, outside of that, you're not seeing the performance from him that Green Bay was really hoping for when they gave him that contract. It's not like they gave him, you know, this, this high end defensive line contract, but they were really hoping that he was going to come in and solidify one of those spots along the defensive line line that has not been the case at all and more more often than I think anyone would like he's usually the one that's getting kind of moved to the side and opening up a gap where it's kind of allowing teams to kind of run on him and run against him so I I think that's 1A where Dean Lowry just needs to play a little bit less I think he can survive you know playing 10-15 snaps a game with Dean Lowry but anything more than that is a little bit of a liability at the moment I think the Kingsley Kiki and Tyler Lancaster I think that's a really nice platoon I think you've got a player in Lancaster who is really good on rundowns and he's going to give you like you said everything he's got Uh, and you, you know Kingsley Kiki is still developing but you see some of the flash plays from him and he shows up in pass rush situations more often than not. So I think that's a really good platoon, but overall you look at the core of that defensive line outside of Kenny Clark and there's not any other team that's pining for those players on their roster right now. Those are mostly replacement level players that uh, a lot of people, myself included, have been pining for upgrades for over the course of the last couple of seasons. So Ross, uh, when you watch Twitter during a game and there's a missed tackle or a big run play and everybody wants to fire Mike Pettin and it's the scheme and he it's the three, four needs to go. And I've always said, watch the guys in the trenches and when you talk about, and as Andy alluded to, 
the just guys and guys that are underperforming, and you got Kenny Clark, but you don't have guys around him. And then you watch on a third and short, and they're going with a smaller lineup, and you're kind of scratching your head going, what the hell? You know, why aren't you putting your beef in there? That's part of the reason why. You're, well, I think what you're trying to do is what Matt LaFleur has stated, just put your best players in those situations to be successful. And I think what we're finding out more and more is those aren't the best players, and those are the guys when you're, when you're only as good as your weakest link, that's where your weakest link is on defense. Would you agree? I would. I mean, Lowry has not been great. Lancaster has not been great. Uh, with that said, I really like what Montrevious Adams has done all season long against the run. I think he's been uh, good, and, and I think they have a future legitimately good football player in Kingsley Kiki. I think he's going to make it flat out. But you're you're right. I mean, they, they like to play nickel. They like to play dime. Petten would much rather get beat by the run than, than by the pass, and that's the league that we're in. Uh, but you know, I'm not. I'm not going to be the guy to uh, to defend my pet. And I, I just, I haven't seen. You know, he's he's been in Green Bay long enough, and and they have certainly, certainly, certainly invested on his side of the ball, both with draft capital and with actual free agent dollars. And uh, I just, I haven't seen the proof uh, in the pudding. So that's that's certainly not something you're going to be able, obviously, to get me to do. No, I, I'm just simply saying sometimes we always, you know, hear the phrase it's either the X's and O's or Jimmy's and Joe's. And so do you think there's enough talent here then, I'll come back to you, that this should be a better defense than what it is showing? I absolutely do. Yeah, for sure. Um, I think you've got legitimate blue chip player in in three spots that are extremely important. I, I think that Kenny Clark is a, is a blue chipper, as is Jair Alexander, as is Zadarius Smith. I think you're you're right underneath that level uh, when when you're talking, uh, in, in my opinion, about Preston Smith when when he's rocking and rolling with uh, Adrian Amos kind of being at that level as well, and then you've got decent you know guys youngsters that that should be on the come with uh, with Kevin King and Darnell Savage, the, the linebacker position as as I've mentioned I don't you know I think you can kind of get by and as have many very good teams in, in this league. And so, yeah, I, I do think that there are enough horses on defense where, where they should be a little bit better. Yeah. Let's do this. We'll step away. We'll take a quick break. When we come back, we'll start to look around the rest of the National Football League, start to make our picks as well. Seattle and Arizona just getting underway out in Seattle. No score at this particular point in time. They just kicked off a few moments ago. This is the Bill Michael Suttle. It's presented by Bud Light Seltzer, unquestionably good, brewed with that unique five-step filtration process that ensures a cleaner finish. No lingering aftertaste and only 100 calories. Four different flavors, cranberry, grapefruit, pineapple, and strawberry flavors for everything. Go to BudLight.com. That is BudLight.com. Also a reminder, coming up after the game on Sunday, don't forget it's the Green and Gold postgame show. Yours truly, Gary Ellerson. We give you our analysis, and we take your phone calls and your reaction as well as we break it all down right after Green Bay and Indy down in Indy. Stay tuned. More of the Bill Michaels Huddle. Andy Herman, Ross Uglum, PuckerReport.com. Coming up next. Everywhere in Wisconsin, the Bill Michaels Sports Talk Network. We don't want to get caught up too much in the in the mental part. It's it, it's important, 
but at the same time, it's it's going to come down to to uh, to winning our one on ones. But it's always a challenge to go against uh, to go against Philip just you know, just because of how good he is at, at at having an understanding of what you're in, and then having the ability to put his team in in the uh, in the best possible play. Mike Patton, defensive coordinator for the Green Bay Packers, talking about Philip Rivers. Welcome back. It's the Bill Michaels Tunnel presented by Bud Light Seltzer. Unquestionably good. Brewed with a unique five-step filtration process that ensures a cleaner finish and no lingering aftertaste. Only 100 calories. Go to BudLight.com. That's BudLight.com. Andy Herman and Ross Uglum, PackerReport.com. That's where you can find their stuff. And uh, check it out there as uh, as I do. And uh, you can as well if you're a Packers fan or, well, if you're another Fan of another franchise, that's fine. Whoever the Packers happen to be playing that upcoming week or after. Uh, time now to get around the rest of the National Football League. Uh, the Cardinals on the road taking on the Seattle Seahawks. Seattle puts uh, puts it into the end zone early in this contest. They're quickly up 7 to nothing. And we were talking about this earlier, guys. Uh, and, Ross, I'll start with you. But, uh, you know, when it comes to the Cardinals, I don't know if I should believe in the Cardinals, even though they're top of the NFC West right now. This is a big game for them. There's no doubt about that. But I just think they're still young. I don't know if they're ready to fly. Although, what what they're doing over there with that offense and Kyler Murray and, and DeAndre Hopkins and such, I mean, it's just phenomenal. And they've got a strong defense, but I don't know if that's strong enough to win it all, so to speak. Um, I'm going to take the Seahawks in this game just because I, I believe the Seahawks are a more seasoned team. They're a good team. But uh, with the way they're turning the ball over, uh, Russell Wilson has kind of played himself out of the lead re, lead role of the MVP race so far. I'm going to take the Seahawks to win this game. How about you? Uh, yeah, them being up 7 nothing doesn't hurt either. <laughs> You're right, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I like the Cardinals, but but I don't know if they're ready to fly yet. Yeah, long term, I love the Cardinals. Mean, I, I, I really like Buda Baker. I was just talking to Andy, you know, off the off the air about that. Uh, they have Patrick Peterson, you know, obviously a, a very key position. They just have – they've got players uh, on the offensive side, man. Uh, you talk about having the Wiley vet, Larry Fitzgerald, the best. Uh, if it's not Devontae Adams, then the best wide receiver in football is is New Hopkins uh, with a really exciting young quarterback and two tailbacks and Chase Edmonds and Kenyon Drake that are fun to watch. Uh, they're going to be – they're not going to be an easy out. I'll, I'll put it that way. They won't be an easy out. Right, no doubt. Uh, Andy, who you got in this one? Yeah, I like Seattle as well. They have a lot of players that I do like, but one player that they don't have is Chandler Jones. And I think against Seattle and Russell Wilson, that's just a major loss for this team. And I think as good as they've been, not having him has been a major loss. And uh, yeah, as Ross said, having a 7 nothing lead doesn't hurt. But yeah, even before I would have taken Seattle at home in this one. Then you got the game, uh, the, a matchup that I'm really intrigued by. You've got the Titans coming off of that loss. Derrick Henry still got over 100 yards but did not get into the end zone against a very uh, tough, as we've been talking about, Indianapolis Colts defense, and they've had kind of a mini-bye, now taking on the Ravens in Baltimore. Both teams sitting at 6-3 and three right now over there in the AFC. Uh, as much as I like Baltimore and, and what they bring to the table, I, I Lamar Jackson just doesn't impress me this year whatsoever. The Titans are coming off of that loss. They're seething a little bit. I'm going to take them on the road. May, I'm not going to call it an upset, but some most most money is taking the Ravens in this one. I'm taking the Titans, Andy. 
I'm with you. I, I think the book is kind of out on the Ravens right now. I think they made so much of their money last year uh, on that three tight end set. Now they're really down another tight end. Um, of course, they traded Hayden Hurst in the offseason. I just don't see the same level of success that they had a season ago when they were able to put a, a bunch of unique personnel on the field. And uh, now they're kind of left with, you know, Lamar Jackson having to kind of create and create on his own. You've already had the reports that, you know, teams are calling out plays ahead of time. I, like I said, I think the book is out. I think Mike Vrabel is a really smart defensive coach. I think they're going to have a really great plan. Guess what plan worked against them? The Patriots plan. Mike Vrabel is going to know that plan. And uh, I think t- the Titans have a really good chance in this one. Ross? I like the Ravens. Uh, I think the arrow for me with Tennessee is pointing down a little bit. Uh, I, I do kind of echo or, or agree with a lot of the concerns that, that Andy and, and you pointed out with Baltimore, but uh, this is a game that the Ravens need if they are going to kind of accomplish the things they want to accomplish. And I'm just, I'm not completely sold on Tennessee. They've had some really weird, weird games as far as uh, the way the final score turned out for that squad. Uh, the next game on the docket, the Lions on the road against the Panthers. My buddy uh, Dan Miller over there, the voice of the Lions, uh, they're experiencing a little bit of a resurgence after an awful start to the season. I don't know if it's going to be enough to save Matt Patricia by the time it's all said and done. They've been dealing with COVID, injuries to their quarterback, a lot going on. Uh, I still think, though, that they can get by the Carolina Panthers. Carolina, as much as I like them and I like Teddy Bridgewater, they're still young. They're still trying to put everything together. I'm going to take the Lions, oddly enough, and I never take the Lions. I'm taking the Lions on the road to win the, to win this one. Ross, back to you. I like Detroit as well. Uh, Carolina's in a rough spot. Teddy Bridgewater probably not going to be available. Christian McCaffrey definitely not going to be available. Nope. And e- even though wins and losses-wise, they've done pretty well without Christian, it's just it's never going to help you win a game. And, and I think – you know, you, you look at these bottom of the barrel, which really isn't that far to the bottom, NFC North teams, and both Detroit and Minnesota at four and five, I think have reasons to hold out hope that they can somehow chase down that last wild card spot. Uh, it's going to be tough, though, with the, the way that the NFC West is looking with Seattle, Arizona, and L.A. all being pretty good. Uh, they... they the, the, those two teams in the NFC North are, are going to have to battle and, and obviously eventually leapfrog the five and five bears. Andy. Yeah. For me, it's all up to the quarterback to me. If Teddy Bridgewater is, is somehow able to go and healthy, I'm taking the Panthers in this game. I like them a little bit more than the Lions. but if this is PJ Walker or Will Greer, it doesn't matter. The Lions are going to win this easily because the, the, the Panthers just aren't going to be able to function on offense without Teddy Bridgewater out there. Uh, the three five and one Eagles on the road in Cleveland to take the Browns on. The Browns sitting at six and three. I can't believe the Browns even have a positive record. That being said, uh, I I know that I, nobody has any faith in the Eagles, and it's a terrible, terrible NFC East. Uh, the Browns are at least decent. They got Nick Chubb back. They can run the football. The Eagles' defense is not good. It's it's just not strong and stout against the run. Uh, I but I can't. I just I can't take the Browns. I, I'm actually going to pick the Eagles in this contest for whatever reason. I'm just going to get a gut call it a gut feeling. I'm going to pick the Eagles on the road. They're just trying to put something together and trying to win that East. Uh, the Browns are the Browns. They're going to figure out a way to screw this whole thing up before it's all said and done. Andy, back to you. 
I think that's the smart thing for, to be real. I think the Browns <laughs> are always going to let, uh, you know, let everyone down at some point in the season. And it just feels like at some point, somebody in the NFC East has to kind of take this thing by the horn and, you know, finish, you know, what seven and nine and, and try to w- actually win the division. So I think that's smart, but I- I'm going to stick with the Browns. I'm a glutton for punishment. I'm a Baker Mayfield supporter for some reason. I don't know why, uh, but I'm going to go with the Browns in this one in a close game, uh, just kind of eking out maybe by a field goal. Ross. I'm actually going to go with Andy here. I, I like the Browns in this game. Uh, I think Eagles right now are having potentially like a COVID issue with the wide receiver room, which is a pretty darn thin room to mm-hmm. begin with. And they've just struggled to score points in bunches. If they lose a bunch of perimeter guys to COVID, I think a, a potentially a road loss or a road win is going to be something difficult to come by to go into Cleveland. That's not, not your normal, you know, uh, paper bag over the head Browns. These are slightly functional Browns. And I think that, 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 that that's going to lead to a, uh, an Eagles loss in this one. Yeah. As a kid growing up in Cincinnati, you hated the Browns and I still to this day have the, what is now a medium shirt, by the way, from when I was a kid, I kept it. And it still says across the chest with the Bengals logo, the old Bengals logo on the back. If it's Brown, flush it down. I think I'm a little biased. Uh, let's do this. Let's go to the uh, the Patriots on the road taking on the Texans. Uh, two two teams that just aren't that good. I'll believe, although uh, I believe the Patriots are a better football team. Uh, I, I just be, because I, and the Texans are just so bad. The defense is just so bad. And I just saw JJ White was just. I don't know if he's just not motivated right now. Just boy, not a good defense whatsoever. Uh, the Texans are going to lose this contest against Bill Belichick and company. And I'm going to go back to you, Ross. I agree. Uh, I think you're seeing maybe a little flicker of light with these Pats, and it's something that uh, if you're the rest of the league, the last thing you want is like a six-seed Bill Belichick in the playoffs. I think that terrifies people a little bit. And and like I said, I mean, that that win in, in Baltimore and the light going on a little bit for for these Pats is, is scary. I think that continues against a Houston team that honestly probably is – better off losing as far as the long-term goals for their franchise and a franchise that's likely to be hiring a new GM and coach. And they'd be better off losing if they still actually had their first round draft pick coming up, but uh, that's not going to help them too much, but this is a team that's checked out. I like the Patriots give this win to bill Belichick in and of itself. I like bill Belichick over the Texans in this one. For nine reasons versus one, I'm going to take the Steelers. Steelers on the road taking on the Jaguars. Steelers undefeated. They're going to remain undefeated. They'll go to 10-0. and The Jaguars 1-8. and Just a bad football team. I like their defense. I like the fact that they're aggressive. I love the fact that they hit, uh, but they just don't have enough to be able to kind of dictate what the Steelers do. And the Steelers are much better defensively. They're going to get after Ryan Tannehill all over six ways from Sunday. Andy, back to you. Yeah, Jake Luton versus that Steelers defense is not a recipe for success. I'm very intrigued to see in this game if the Jaguars can kind of hang around the Steelers like they did around the uh, the Packers or if really good teams are just able to blow them out of the water. So that's kind of what I'm watching here. But no matter what, Steelers end up with a win. Ross? Yeah, I mean, I think you saw the Steelers let Dallas hang around and Dallas is a bad football team. I think they're they, they have that weight. I think that you saw with the Packers in 2011, they have that weight of an undefeated season hanging around their neck right now. But ultimately I think you saw the last gasp of the Jaguars. I think they're pretty much ready to pack it in. I think they really emptied the tank against the Packers and came up short. And as I said, with the Texans, it is 
probably in their best interest to lose games at this point. Falcons are on the road taking on the Saints. The Falcons, uh, they've won two in a row. They've actually resuscitated a little life back into that franchise. You've got the Saints without Drew Brees because of the broken ribs, albeit I still think that they're a much, much better football team, and it's really going to rest on the shoulders of Kamara at this point. But uh, I just think down there in the Dome, with or without fans, they're still a very tough team. They're still right behind the Green Bay Packers keeping pace in the NFC. I'm taking the Saints at home to knock off the Falcons and end the Falcons' two-game win streak. Uh, Ross, what do you think? I, I, I'm with you. I, this Atlanta team, um, I, I just I can't fully buy in. I can't fully believe. And maybe that's just the taste left in my mouth by what the Packers did to them. But I, I'm just I, I can't believe. Yeah, I think Andy? for me, the, the Saints on defense are good enough to kind of just win this game on their own, even if they don't get a huge performance from the quarterback position. And I still think Jameis Winston is a capable starter. As long as he doesn't throw a couple patented pick sixes in this game, I like the Saints chances to win. Uh, let's do this. We'll step away. We'll come back. The second half of the docket coming up. We've got a, a couple of good games there. We've got some uh, inner conference game or inner uh, division games, uh, and the Green Bay Packers taking on the Colts. All of that is coming up next in the Bill Michaels Huddle. Wisconsin wide, the Bill Michaels Sports Talk Network. I mean, they got a lot of guys that play great together, and they all, uh, you know, move on one accord. Um, and they and they're very physical up front, and they play, you know, they they're like a string. They all move at once, and they all play together consistently. Those are the words of Preston Smith talking about the Colts' offensive line. Welcome back. It's the Bill Michaels on final segment, making our predictions and getting up to the Packers. Colts game as well as the Packers go on the road and try to remain the top team in the NFC. And we are brought to you by our good friends at uh, Bud Light Seltzer, unquestionably good. Andy Herman, Ross Uglin, PackerReport.com joining me tonight. And we get back into the picks. A craptastic game between two bad football teams. The two six and one Cincinnati Bengals go on the road to take a two uh, a two and seven Washington football team uh, on uh, out in Washington and. Uh, I, I really like Joe Burrow and what they're going on. I can't believe in either one of these teams as much as I like Ron Rivera and company. Uh, I'm only taking the Bengals just because I'm a, I'm a Joe Burrow fan. But beyond that, I I have zero interest in this contest. Andy? Yeah, I'm, I'm going to go with the Bengals. I'm going to go. It's my lock of the week. I'm picking Joe Burrow, getting the Bengals' first win on the road this season. I just don't think Washington's got anything positive going in their direction, whereas the Bengals have a little bit of momentum with Joe Burrow just because Joe Burrow's playing well. And uh, I, I think they just have a little bit more emphasis to try and win this game. So I'm, I'm going Bengals in this one. Ross? I'm with Andy. I think, you know, neither of these teams, you know, if we're talking about draft tanking, have any reason to win this game. But for Joe Burrow's development, like he should get his first road win. And that's something that they can work towards. And, and yeah, like it might cost them, you know, picking eighth instead of picking fifth. But I think this is the time and, and Burrow and, and Tyler Boyd and T Higgins and, you know, they've got young, good players that need to learn how to win together. Uh, if, if they had an offense and a quarterback, I'd probably take the Broncos in this contest. Broncos boast one of the better defenses in the league and Tua being a young inserted quarterback is going to face that defense coming up this weekend for the Miami Dolphins, six and three on the road going to Denver. Uh, but because the offense of Denver just stinks, for lack of a better term, I'm going to go ahead and take the Dolphins to get the win, Ross. I agree. Uh, I was, you know, mentioning some DVOA statistics uh, earlier in the show, and 
you look at that sheet, it's a rough look for the Broncos. 32nd in rush DVOA, 32nd in pass DVOA, which gets you, as you might guess, the worst offense in football. And that's not going to be enough to beat this uh, Dolphins team that has a little bit something going. Little juice. Andy? Yeah, I like this Dolphins team. I, I kind of expect them to, to lay an egg somewhere along the line here. It just seems like they're due for a loss, but not against this Broncos team. I think Dolphins win easy. Justin Herbert has played so well, but the Chargers have just simply not been able to win. Their defense is not stellar by any stretch of the imagination. Meanwhile, the Jets are uh, the only team in the National Football League yet to garner a win, and now they got to go to the West Coast. Uh, Herbert is going to chew them up. I believe the Chargers are going to get their third one of the season. The Jets remain defeated, and uh, th- that's just a terrible, terrible football team. It's almost embarrassing to watch. It, they, are, they are even worse than that 0-16 Detroit team from years gone by. Andy? Yeah, unless they're playing the 0-16 Detroit team, you, this is my also other lock of the week, who's ever playing the Jets. Just lock it in. That other team is winning. Uh, the Jets are an embarrassment right now. They have nothing going in their favor. They can't end this season quick enough. They are going to end up with the number one pick in Trevor Lawrence, and then we'll see if they can actually get that right and not screw it up somehow. Ross? Yeah, that's an easy one. Uh, young quarterback, <laughs> again, looking for looking for a win. He has played well. They have not. And so, uh, you know, it's, it's a situation where one team has something to play for and one team doesn't. And, and I think this is going to be another step towards Trevor Lawrence for the Jets. Cowboys on the road going into Minnesota, a place that Mike McCarthy knows well, but the Cowboys are not a good football team either. Uh, as a matter of fact, Andy Dalton was talking about his injury and then getting COVID and all the problems they've had down there. The Vikings coming off of that uh, that win the other night. By the way, Kirk Cousins uh, was 0 for 9 going into the Monday night contest, finally got his first win. Maybe they're feeling a little juice. I'll take the Vikings, a resurgent Minnesota Vikings team against Mike McCarthy's Cowboys coming up uh, on Sunday afternoon. Ross? Yeah, I think the the fall back to reality is coming at some point here for the Vikings. But as you mentioned, I, I don't think it's probably going to come against this Cowboys group, especially without you know Dak Prescott. Uh, this Cowboys group isn't very good. I think you saw on Monday that neither are the Vikings, but this is not going to be that game where where reality strikes. Andy, yeah, I think. I think Dallas keeps this close, uh, maybe closer than people expect. Coming off a of bye week, Andy Dalton comes back. I think it's going to be a little bit of a better game than maybe some might think. But this is a nightmare matchup where you have a really bad Cowboys run defense against Dalvin Cook and that Vikings offensive line that's just cooking right now, no pun intended. Uh, I like the Vikings in this one. Sunday night, the 8-1 and one Chiefs go on the road. Their only loss to the Raiders. The Raiders hosting the Chiefs on Sunday night football. I'm looking forward to the Sunday night game and the Monday night game. They're both really, really good. Uh, The Chiefs uh, looking for a little revenge. I think they get it in Vegas. I'm going to take the Chiefs on the road to get the win. Andy, back to you. I'm just not a huge believer in John Gruden. I know they got the the win last time, but I think this Chiefs team is just better. I think they get a level of revenge on Sunday night football. I, I don't know if maybe they just you know slept on the Raiders a little bit last time. That Raiders team can run on you, and, and Josh Jacobs is a really good football player. Darren Waller can create mismatches. So uh, the Raiders can hang here, but I like the Chiefs to win potentially by double digits in this game. Ross? I'm, I'm right there with Andy. I actually do like Chiefs, and I like them big. 
Then you got the Monday night contest that I'm really looking forward to as well. The Rams in that defense, a very solid defense. They go on the road. We were just talking about them being the upstart team in the NFC. Uh, they go on the road and they face a very good Buccaneers team. The Buccaneers, uh, obviously, with uh, everything they have, they're a very solid team as well. This is just a hell of a matchup, but I'm going to take the Buccaneers at home. Very tough for a West Coast team to go East Coast, much less play on Monday night as well. So I'm going to take the Buccaneers in that contest. Ross? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm with you. Uh, Tampa, as much as you'd maybe like to see them take a loss if you're a Packers fan, I think they're the better team. As you mentioned, the travel issue, I, I Tampa for sure. Andy? I think this is I think this is the game of the week. I think these are you know two very good teams, both of who could come out of the NFC as the you know Super Bowl contender. I'm going to go with the Rams. I think their defense and Aaron Donald is going to cause issues for Tom Brady. The one thing that Tom Brady likes to do is sit in that pocket, be able to maneuver around a little bit. I think Aaron Donald's going to make that a really difficult situation and proposition for Tom Brady. I'm going to go with the Rams and maybe a little bit of an upset. Then you got the game that we're all paying attention to and talking about. And uh, don't forget, Darius Leonard says he wants to introduce himself to Aaron Rodgers because Rodgers thought that someone else was a better linebacker. Uh, Fred Warner, as a matter of fact. And uh, so you got Darius Leonard wanting, taking exception to that, I guess, is the best way to put it. I still think the Packers get a win in this contest down in Indianapolis coming up. Don't, don't forget, it's a 325 kickoff. Those listening, it was originally scheduled as noon. I'm going to take the Packers, but I'm going to take the Packers not to get over 30. I'm going to say 27-24. Packers get a win in this one. Andy? I'm going to go with the Colts. I think this is a very tough matchup for Green Bay with Devontae Adams potentially being out. Uh, that's certainly something that's looming as well. Um, I just think that Green Bay has, you know, historically struggled in Indianapolis. I think, you know, they're going to be able to shut down the running game and Aaron Jones. Uh, Green Bay hasn't exactly done well when they've had to play off script a little bit. So until they kind of prove me differently, I'm going to pick the, the Colts in this one. But this is easily one that could go in either direction. Ross? Uh, once again, I'm with Andy, 28 <laughs> 28-24 Colts. I Oh my goodness. I just the way that Indianapolis is good up front mirrors the the way that the LA Chargers took care of Green Bay last year mirrors the way I think that that obviously San Francisco took care of Green Bay and and they have the same the very same Philip Rivers that took care of the Packers in a road contest as well. I think uh we got about 10 seconds real quick, guys. Thanks for joining us. Andy, Ross, appreciate it. They can find you guys at PackerReport.com. This has been the Bill Michaels Huddle brought to you by Bud Light Seltzer. Thanks to everybody on the network. Talk to you again next week. Don't forget to listen after the game coming up on Sunday. Time to go. Boop. You're listening to the Bill Michaels Sports Talk Network. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better 
because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 